We pray that you will build us as you speak to us from your word and help us to purpose to live the type of life we're supposed to live now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Right, so before I told you, I told you happy Sabbath. And um, I always like to set the context for anything I'm going to say. Happy Sabbath. I mean, Sabbath is a nice day, but it's not just a random day that God likes, just happens to like. But um, and we had a whole sermon about that. But it is... It is a summary of God's character. And um, if you remember, God doesn't force anybody, right? So God relies on our voluntary service. And so the devil, when he wanted to try to mash up God's kingdom, he decided to spread doubts about God. And he said that God was harsh and unforgiving and, se- and severe. And he was always looking for things that are wrong with you. And he, he always wanted everything for himself and all of these different things. And um, the Sabbath says the opposite, that God is not like that. And everything we do, the whole reason why we're here and why there's sin in the world is because people believe that. Eve believed that God is not to be trusted, and so we are here still going over the same thing over and over again. And, um, And what God wants for us to do at this time in history is to prove the lies wrong. And so in our character and in the way that we live, we have to demonstrate that God is not who Satan said he was. And that's the only reason that we are alive today. That's the only reason we are living. And that's what God is waiting for us to do. So that is the context uh, in, uh, for everything that we do and that we say. And this sermon, um, the saying goes that history does not repeat itself, but it rhymes. And so we're going to look at um, Elijah and see how that relates to our time now. And see if we see any you know, rhyming now and and for the time of the end. All right, so what we're going to do, I'd like to ask you to turn to First Kings. We're going to be in 16, 17, and 18. We won't read the entire thing. A lot of the reading I will do. And we're going to talk about what, do we, what parallels do we see in Elijah about now and about the end of time. And, yeah, what, what can we learn from that? All right, so, so now Elijah... He just suddenly appears. Nobody knows where he came from. They said he was a Tishbite, but there's no backstory to him. He just appears on the scene, and we know that he had this big showdown on Mount Carmel, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But um, he comes at a time when the, ch- the children of Israel are really living bad lives. I remember there was one nation, and then after King Solomon, they split into two. Um, there was the southern kingdom of Judah, and then there was the kingdom of Israel in the north. All right? And that kingdom was led by King Ahab. And this is what the Bible says about King Ahab. We're in First Kings 16 and 30 and 31. So I'll let you find it. First Kings chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. And it says, And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. 
And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and served Baal and worshipped him. So that's my first point, right? Many people who profess to serve the true God, they'll find themselves corrupted by their associations and alliances with other people who do not serve him. And you find that today, and we'll continue to find it. So Ahab was influenced by his wife, Jezebel. Again, as we read, she, she was the daughter of the king of Sidon. And he turned away from the worship of God, and he set up temples to Baal around the land. Right? Baal was this rain god, harvest god. All right? And similarly, we have seen the church itself align itself with those who do not know God and move away from the teachings of the Bible towards the traditions of men. As Seventh-day Adventists, we know the most common one, that is the Sabbath commandment. Right? It was March 7 in the year 321 that the Roman Emperor Constantine declared the venerable day of the sun to be the day of rest. All right? And mind you, we like to blame Constantine, but actually, if you, look, if you read ab about it, it took a while for the church to break away from the fourth commandment to, to observe another day. And it was something that was very gradual as they intermingled with other people and decided to adopt their customs. So that's the first point I wanted to make. Many who profess to follow God will find themselves corrupted because of their associations. Here's the second point. Many of the things that threaten to derail God's people and set them off, off course happen during times of prosperity. Because Ahab wasn't the first person to take wives from among those who do not follow God. And God had warned them about that. Solomon was, right? Solomon lived in a time of great peace and prosperity, and he found it very easy to go after strange women. I'll read 1 Kings 11, 1 and 2. It says, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And um, you know what so Solomon may have forgotten that it was God who gave him the kingdom and decided to make peace with all these nations. So he decided, and that's what they did long ago, right? They marry everybody so that everybody's at peace, right? That didn't work. You know that World War One, at the time of World War One, all the um, the rulers in Europe were related to Queen Victoria, right? And she had set that up so that they would not go into war and well. Yeah, I guess we don't learn anything, all right? So, it, you know, and it, sometimes when we decide to do our, own, you know, do our own thing, sometimes it seems to work because Solomon lived in relative pros prosperity, you know? Um, but more than ever nowadays, we are sold this lie that we are supposed to take care of, the, take care of ourselves. You tell people, okay, you tell the children, go to, go to school so you'll learn, so you'll get a good job, so you can grow up, you get married, and take care of yourself. We cannot take care of ourselves. That is a lie. And um, we get addicted to living in sort of comfort. I call it middle classness. You want to have a certain level of, you know, I want things to be okay. And if you think about how we live sometimes, almost everything we do all day, every day, is to try to make ourselves a little bit more comfortable. All right? And when you live in that sort of, if that's your goal, if that's our goal, sometimes it... We could be kind of freewheeling with the word of God and we can live anyhow. And then things come in that we see that's, that may seem harmless to us. 
that have repercussions later on down the road. And so Solomon had plenty of wives, and here's Ahab now with uh, Zidonia. And you know, the funny thing is that people look at Solomon, they say, oh, he was a good king, because, like, you know, he didn't do... But there you go. He set an example that, well, we're still following to this day. So we find ourselves corrupted by casual associations with those who do not follow God. And these associations, they come out, uh, they're really strong during times of ease and plenty. But there are more parallels to be found in the story. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. All right, 1 Kings 17. So we, I'm going to be reading, so you could follow along with me. From verse 1. It says, And Elisha the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook chariot that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook chariot that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. So that's my third point. There will be a famine in the land for the word of God in the time before Jesus appears. The Bible predicts this in Amos. Amos 8, 11, and 12 says, Behold, the days come, said the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north, even to the east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and they shall not find it. So there will be a real spiritual drought, as people who have rejected God will be searching. They will be searching for it. And this is a situation that the world finds itself in at the end of time. And we, I mean, it's already, we can see it beginning. Right? People search for truth in places where it is not. Um, so this has led to the rise of all sorts of strange religious beliefs and practices and old ones. I mean, all you have to do is pass through Kureb Junction and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's just very strange things. As a matter of fact, I may have mentioned this before. I mean, there was an uh, article in newspapers some months ago, there was this guy they interviewed, and he has an OBS supply shop. That's what it was. That's what he said, a spiritual supply shop. And um, he was saying that um, he's upstairs on market, and he said how you know, business is growing. Alright, so people um, have a renewed interest in these strange things as they seek for truth where it is not. Alright, point number four. However, even while people are running through and through, God is feeding the hearts and minds of all who will sincerely seek him. Elijah was sustained through this time literally by the word of God. I mean, he said, I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. And it is in the study of the word of God that we can find our sustenance. All right, Ministry of Healing says, by prayer, by the study of his word, by faith in his abiding presence, the weakest of human beings may live in contact with the living Christ, and he will hold them by a hand that will never let go. And so I want to encourage you to press closer into the study of God's word and hold on to his promises. And it's by beholding we become changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. But soon enough, the brook of Cherit dries up, and God commands Elijah to go to a widow in Zarephath. All right? So we're reading from 8, go down. 
And you can listen as I read. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus said the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. This brings us to the next point. Number five, real spiritual growth comes from missionary work. So if Elijah thought he was going to sit by that brook and live out his life in comfort, God made sure to dry up that brook. And sometimes God will dry up your brook so that you have to move somewhere else. All right? Elijah was sustained by the woman that he was sent to minister to. Similarly, a lot of people find themselves attached in some way to God's church. They do a lot of Bible reading and church attending, but they have no burden for anyone who is not related to them by blood. All right? Steps to Christ, chapter 9 talks about this. It says the only way to grow in grace is to be doing the very work that Christ gave us to do, right? To engage to the extent of our ability in helping and blessing those who need the help we can give them. And it, it, it likens just reading and praying and, and, and so forth and not helping others to eating without working. We can't stress this point enough, and this comes from a poor view of God. You see, if it is, right, that God, God is mad at us and looking to punish us if we don't get our act together, then everything we do will be about making sure that, okay, let's just make sure he's not too bothered, right? I'll do what I have to do. I'll just try to, and I wouldn't study too much about anything else that God wants me to do, right? Our whole religious experience will be a selfish one, and um, that doesn't carry you anywhere. Ministry of Healing says, nothing will so arouse a self-sacrificing zeal and broaden and strengthen the character as to engage and work for others. Many professed Christians are seeking a church relationship. In seeking a church relationship, think only of themselves. They wish to enjoy church fellowship and pastoral care. They become members of large and prosperous churches and are content to do little for others. In this way, they are robbing themselves of the most precious blessings. She goes on to say that um, trees that grow very close together um, don't do very well, all right? And some trees need to be uprooted and planted in an open field where they can be strong and vigorous. Um, but you don't have to wait until you're called to some distant mission field. You don't have to go to, uh, to a foreign land. Doors of service are open everywhere. All around us are those who need our help, the widow, the orphan, the sick and the dying, the heart sick, the discouraged, the ignorant and the outcast are on every hand. We should feel it our special duty to work for those living in our neighborhood. Study how you can best help those who take no interest in religious things. As you visit your friends and neighbors, show an interest in their spiritual as well as their temporal welfare. 
speak to them of Christ as a sin-pardoning Savior. So, I want you to look at something closely. Both King Ahab and Elijah met, this, met women from the same place. Yes. The widow was from Zidon and so was Je Jezebel, right? Um, but they had quite different outcomes. You see, it's very easy for those who know God to seek to be united with those who do not know God in order to gain something from them. And you know, they, they get what they want, right? But it's, it leads them astray. And um, others heed the call of God to do the same thing, reach out to others who don't know God, but with a different motive in mind, to introduce them to God as revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. So Ahab went for the high society. He got a pretty woman from the king's palace. And, um, and he had a nice company and maybe some sort of peace. And he became like them. But Elijah went different. He went to the lowest of the low. He was sent to the lowest of the low. A widow about to die with a child. And that was a wonderful opportunity for Elijah to show her that the same God that fed him every day. That's how he knew to tell her, you know. Because God had done it for him. And um, we have to have that similar experience so that we can tell other people that you could trust God too because it works for me. All right? And that's why he was able to, to talk to her and tell her, if you feed me with that bread, you will never run out. And, um, and, and, and we mustn't miss those opportunities to share God's character to those around us. Point number six. In the last days, there will be a serious persecution from those who profess to be the people of God, but who in reality are worshipping false gods. So uh, let me say it in another way. People who carry God's name in the last days will be persecuting those who are really following God. Um, let's turn to First Kings 18. And I will read and you will follow, starting from verse 1. First Kings 18. Right, it says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land, unto all fountains of water, and unto all brooks. Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. Big priorities there. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab left one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him. And he knew him, and fell on his face, and said, Art thou that, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go, tell thy lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I sinned that thou wouldest deliver my servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my lord had not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, Go, tell thy lord, behold, Elijah is here. What he's saying there is that Ahab made everybody promise that they hadn't seen Elijah. Right? So, for him to go and tell um, the king that, hey, I found Elijah, he would lose his head because didn't everybody promise that they hadn't seen him? So, verse 12, and it, had, and it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so, when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told, my Lord, that 
what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I had a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord, Behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him this day. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Baalim. A time is coming when people who have chosen to keep God's commandments, including the fourth, will be persecuted by people who carry God's name, but who have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. They will accuse God's faithful people of troubling Israel. But as God worked through Obadiah, God will hide his faithful people in this time of trouble to come. We are not to be afraid of this time of trouble. God has shown over and over that he will provide enough bread and water for his people as long as we remain faithful to his cause. Obadiah got bread directly from the king. Elijah got bread and meat from ravens and water directly from a brook. Then he got bread from a poor widow who got bread from God every morning. And it is the trials that we go through right now that will prepare us to stand in this time of trouble. I want to say that again, right? Because I was going through something and Randy spoke to me and it hit me. When you see things happen in our lives that give us pause and give us trouble, and we get angry and frustrated and we don't know where the, where the Lord is, we, those things are supposed to prepare us for a greater time of trouble. And as, as the Bible says in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 12, 5, if you, if you can't keep up with the men on foot, how are you going to keep up with the horses? And if you're stumbling when the land is flat, how are you gonna, what are you going to do when you're running through the bushes, right? So we need to practice now. Every time we have something that is giving us trouble, any time we are going through stress, anxiety, despair, um, sadness, we have to practice tr um, trusting in God now so that later on we'll be able to stand, all right? Point number seven. This end time will come to a climax where people have to make a decisive choice between the false gods and the gods of Israel. All right? Let's read. So this is a story everybody knows from verse 19. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah called unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answered by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose, choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many. And call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. Just, I'm going to pause here for a second. The word Jezebel means, where is the prince? 
And it was a, it was like a cry they used to make when, well, you know, all these gods have all these mythologies, right? So Baal used to go to the underworld, wherever that was, and they used to make this cry, where's the prince? That's what Jezebel means. Um, so that's how deeply she was into the religion. All right, so they were going to call on him, O Baal, hear us. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he's talking, or he's pursuing, or he's in a journey. You understand now why he said that? Or poor adventure, he sleepeth and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put wood in order, and cut the bullock in pieces, and laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels of water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice, and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. Remember, it was a drought, eh? And he said, do it the third time, and they did it the third time. And the water ran around the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. Simple. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. A day is coming when people have to acknowledge that. They'll have to make a choice. This day is coming very soon and we have to prepare people to be able to make this decision. Because some people are not even going to make it to that day, you know. Um, some people will um, pass before that. So we have to redeem the time because the days are evil. Um, okay, so here's how I'm going to explain this. We don't have to bring people over the hill to baptism, you know. All we have to do is give them an opportunity to choose God and to provide multiple opportunities for them to choose God. And we have to, and sometimes when we work with them, we may not bring them over the hill, as we say, to baptism, but we may bring them further than they were before. And so sometimes when you're working with people and you don't see anything happening, it doesn't mean that nothing happened at all, right? Um, Testimonies, Volume 5, Chapter 2 says, it may seem, and they're talking to teachers, but it applies to everyone. It's, it may seem that the teaching of God's word has but little effect on the minds and hearts of many students. But if the teacher's work has been wrought in God, some lessons of divine truth will linger in the memory of the most careless. The Holy Spirit will water the seed sown, and often it will spring up after many days and bear fruit to the glory of God. God is working to get people into heaven. He is not looking for excuses to keep them out. My last point, the last parallel, is that after people have had a chance to make their choice, Jesus will return. Verse 41, 
on says, And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. You know what struck me in this passage? That Jesus will also return in a cloud. And the, and the um, great controversy also compares it to the size of a man's hand. Eh? Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. And if you always wondered why Jesus had to come back in the clouds, it's not just because he'll be coming from above, but because of the promise that this same Jesus who was taken up into heaven, if you read Acts 1-9, you'll realize that they looked at Jesus going up until a cloud hid him. So he has to come back in a cloud because they said he will return in like manner. Jesus is surely coming again. And surely as he is coming, we have to be ready to meet him. Elijah didn't last long on the earth after that. Elijah and Elisha, his successor, were walking together. And the chariot of fire came and passed between them. And Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind. And Elisha was really, really distraught. Because he had left his family to follow this man. And he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the, the, chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And when he saw him no more, he took hold of his own clothes and rent it into two pieces. And then he took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the banks of Jordan. And he, and he took the mantle and smote the waters and said, Where is the God, Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. But you know, Elisha went on to do greater works than Elijah. He did. And Jesus said that about himself too. In John 14, 12, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So I ask today, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Jesus has left us with his mantle. We have his mission, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit whom he has sent. While we await Jesus' return, let us follow Elisha's example in doing the work of the Master, so that when he comes, he will not find us wanting. Happy Sabbath.